I'm Jay Pitts, a real estate broker, agent, leader, and investor. For the last decade, I've navigated the craziest of real estate markets this country has ever seen, selling over 2,000 homes, moving in and out of markets, always ahead of the curve. And now I'm bringing that perspective to you. This is your resource, and Real Talk About Real Estate starts right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Resource Real Talk About Real Estate. I'm Gabe Pruitt. And I'm Jay Pitts. And we are back again today with another episode. Uh, Jay, recently there was a team meeting uh, that was had here in the office. Uh, and it was pretty timely because we're getting to that point in the year that happens every year where people start to see fall come in and temperatures start to drop, leaves start to change. And everyone assumes, you know, rightly or wrongly, that it has a big effect on real estate markets. And it's kind of this time of year where we expect the markets to shift a little bit. So today I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the shifting market and how it might affect agents around this time of the year and some things that we need to be on the lookout for. No, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think that's apropos. Like there is always this sense of excitement Mm -hmm. when a new year begins. And it's not just, you know, I think it's, it's ever present across industries, but in real estate, it's, it's specifically palpable, Right. You turn the new year. December is traditionally a slow month with a lot of people. For a lot of agents out there, not mm-hmm. not for myself, it's always been one of my best months. But for a lot of agents out there, um, it's a slow month. It's a time with family. There's, you know, not a lot of people wanting to move around the holidays, etc. But then you turn that corner, and the first of the year kind of begins the thought process surrounding buying or selling real estate. And so Mm -hmm. agents are prospecting. They're full of renewed vigor and new goals and new discipline and all these things, right? And, you know, before the year is over, there are the signs, you know, well before the year is over, I should say, there are the signs that, okay, well, maybe I need to start, stop worrying about what's going to happen this year and start thinking about what could happen next year. Right. right? And that, that's kind of the place that we're in, you know, it's September, Mm -hmm. you know, it's gone by in a flash and, uh, and here we are. And we're already talking 2019 goals. Yeah. So a shift, a shift in and of itself, um, can occur, you know, a a weekend in a month. Mm -hmm. It can be a, you know, month of a year or a season, you know, of a year. Or it can be a whole year of a recession, you know, correcting from, you know, a surplus kind of economy. So, you know, there are always macro and micro shifts happening. Right. So, I, you know, we can talk about both because I think they're both at play. And another thing that you mentioned that's probably worth talking about, it's interesting, and we've talked about this on the show before, how the kind of lull in the winter is a perceived thing more than an actual thing. And you said, you know, a lot of agents, they struggle to find business in the winter, but for you, that's been one of your most successful times. And our team, we've always done pretty well in the winter. Absolutely. So how much of it is actually the shifting market and how much of it is a shifting mindset, do you think? Oh, it's normally it's, it's a shifting mindset. Yeah. Normally. I mean, I don't even know if normally is the right way to put it. It, the majority of the time there is more of a perception of a shift than an actual shift. Now at the same time, that's, that's about really a function of like how pronounced that there is always a shift happening, Gabe, mm-hmm. always the, the, the 
Earth is always spinning, right? Like right. They're the ground under our feet is always ever so slightly moving, you know, both figuratively, figuratively and literally, I guess. But figuratively, as it pertains to real estate, the, the landscape is always changing. Yeah. Okay. That's what this show is about is, is talking about those changes, right? If we're talking about the market and how brisk it is, which is, I think, generally what most people identify as the market. Sure. You know, there's always a shift happening. Sometimes it's a lot faster than others. I think, I think the way that most agents perceive it is that it's, it, they always perceive it as moving faster than it is. Mm-hmm. Right now, though, I think we're on the precipice of a shift happening a lot faster. Okay. And what kind of shift? What direction? Well, you know, we've had it really good for a long time. Yeah. And that may be hard for some people to swallow because what came before was so bad for yeah. so many. Okay. But we've had it literally probably since 2011. We've we've had an inclining market. And we're going into 2008, you know, 2019. We're finishing up 2018. I mean, seven solid years of inclining markets. Yeah. It can't do that forever. You can, it can't do this forever, Gabe. I mean, you know, we've had some micro lulls. Yeah. It, you know, right in there in the mix. I think, you know, 2016 was a good example. Fall of 2016 was pretty slow. Um, fall of 2017 was very brisk. Um, but, uh, yeah, there, there've been some lulls, man. And, and so what kind of shift are we on the precipice of a more pronounced slowdown? I think continued growth and I'm not, you know, Nostradamus here, Yeah. but I think growth is still in order. Price appreciation is still in order, but I think a 4% appreciation, which is, which is pretty conservative, but, but solid growth of 4% appreciation in prices is going to feel like a recession. Coming yeah. off of what we've had, 15, 18% growth in some years. And it, depending on markets, too, some markets has been even higher than that. Some markets has been higher than that. So, you know, what I think I'd like to do in today's episode is just kind of, you know, I'm not saying, look, winter is coming, right? We talked right. about that way back in the beginning of, of resource. Um, it seems a little bit like we're in a different place now. Like we're not talking about this thing that's out in front of us. And you're, you know, the point of that episode was just simply that winter will come again. Yeah. We don't exactly know when, Mm -hmm. um, it seems a bit more of a reality now. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're a year closer to it. And I just simply think that people should prepare to not abandon ship because of, a slowdown in growth. Sure. We're not talking recession here. We're yeah. not even talking about recession yet. I do think the economy will experience a recession in 2020, you know, of a much more mild variety than the last one we had. There mm-hmm. will be no great recession, I don't think, um, at least not this time around. But again, 4% appreciation through a stagnating economy, you should be happy for. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and a lot of this conversation was sparked, you know, a good, good friend of mine and, and former guest on the show, Mr. Tom Ferry, coach extraordinary, real estate coach extraordinaire. Um, if you follow any of Tom's stuff right now, by the way, everybody that, that is close to Tom is just basically saying Tom is like on fire lately. Okay. Like he is, he is, um, he's, he's, he's worked up. Okay. okay. He's got a message. He's very passionate about it. And it, and it's surrounding this idea of a slowdown. You know, finding your you know, your 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 optimal level of expense, you know, kind of adjusting and preparing, battening down the hatches, getting ready 
for a different type of economy and a different type of real estate market. But but I watched a video from Tom, and that was what um, prompted the office meeting you're talking about, where Tom basically said, the market doesn't care about your excuses. It doesn't care you know, about your lack of vision. It doesn't care about your lack of perseverance. It doesn't care if you didn't follow, don't follow your schedule, if you don't prospect for business, if you don't do all the things that help you become you know, a, a top-end real estate agent, the market doesn't care. It'll find a way. Buyers and sellers will find a way, whether that's... With you or with someone else. For sale by owner or discount brokerages or disrupt other disruptors mm-hmm. that are at play in the marketplace. It doesn't just doesn't care. And he goes on to say, now, mind you, there are 1.4 million realtors in the United States, plus or minus. Okay. He goes on to say that less than 3% Less than 3% of those almost 1.4 million realtors sell 25 homes in a year. Okay. Less than 3%. An average of two a month. A little more than two a month. Yeah. And my question is, how does 97% of agents that are the primary breadwinners, not all of them are, some of them are retired people, some of them are part-time agents, some of them are, you know... I don't know, independently wealthy. They don't have to make a living. But but of that 97%, what percentage of those are the primary breadwinners in their family or at least a substantial percentage of their family's income? How do they stay how do they stay in business? How do they stay alive? Right. How are you eating? How do you eat? So my thought is everyone, every single person affiliated with our organization, every agent in production, how do they they must be in the top three percent. Mm-hmm. Like, and if I, they're not, they need to be as soon as possible. If they're not, they need to be because if they're not on their way up, they're on their way out. Hmm. And the market is the market doesn't care, Gabe. It just doesn't care. Well, it's like you said when you mentioned that some people they need to have an, a plan B that's not abandoned ship, right? Yeah. And it's like the reason we see people get out of the business is because the bad market or the downturn hits them out of nowhere, and when it's something that they could potentially whether if they had foreseen it and had prepared in advance, when it hits you all at once, I mean, you can have an entire month without a paycheck and that's a real good reason to switch career paths. That's, that's, there's a lot of fear I mean, involved. There, there are agents that go months without paychecks in good markets. Yeah. I, like, I mean, like it may said, be three months. It seems like the theme here is being prepared and that's probably why in September you're having this conversation. In well, absolutely, because we don't know what's ahead. It's, like I said, I'm not Nostradamus here. I don't know how to forecast the future. I have, I have my guess, right? I have my guess. I don't know how to tell you what next February is going to look like. Yeah. I don't know how to tell you that with a hundred percent certainty that next spring is going to be 15% off from where this year was in terms of sales volume. I don't have there. No one does Gabe. The market moves in mysterious ways. So we can see the writing on the wall, but let me tell you something. I have made a career getting out in front of shifts, okay? I got out in front of the REO shift. I got out of the mortgage business into real estate. I got out of traditional real estate into REO. I got out of REO back into te- into a massive team. I've done it. Yeah. Okay? Adapting. You know, I bought, you know, on a more micro level, I bought tons of, you know, investment property and emerging areas and our, you know, I was flipping how, if you're from or around Louisville, you know what Germantown is. I was flipping Germantown houses in 2009. Yeah. 
when people were afraid of Germantown. <laughs> you know, I bought a house for 29000 Consequently, I've sold this house, you know, seven times in my career now. Um, but but I bought a house at 29000 sold it for seventy nine, listed it for the girl I sold it to, sold it for her as a fixer-upper for 100 Okay, watch that person put another thirty or forty grand into it, sold it for them for one hundred and seventy to one of my buyers. All the same house, all the same single house, That's which is funny. I, I kind of digress a little bit there, but my point is, you know, I've made I've made it getting out in front, but even even the writing on the wall that I see because I'm paying attention and I'm looking for it doesn't prepare you for how to wake up and realize. That the market's off 15%. And guess what? You're in the bottom 15% of agents. You are out of business. Yep. Every year it gets cold. Just whoosh, done. Yeah. You know? And and I think there is an epidemic, and a lot of our episodes have touched on this. There's an epidemic of ill-prepared agents. You know, do you know, Gabe, that, I mean, any idea on, you know, the percentage of agents that are nearing the end of their career in this business? No. What do you, what would it be? I mean, take a guess. Well, I mean, we talked about what? 97 versus 3%. It's got to be more than half nearing the end of their career though. Okay. So how about this? Let's, 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 let's put this a different way. What would you guess the median age of a realtor in the United States is? It's probably higher than you might expect. I'd say in their forties. Is that close? 54 years old. Okay. 54 years old. Which is nothing wrong with being in real estate at that age. That's not what I'm saying. No, there's nothing wrong with being. Okay. So, so let's start compounding some reasons here. Okay. Um, 54 years of age is the median age of a realtor in the United States. And we're talking about shifts here. Mm -hmm. Okay. The median level of experience for a 54-year-old realtor, or for all realtors, okay. with the median age well, we of 54, the, 54 yeah. the median age is 10 years. Or the medium experience. Median now. experience, excuse me. Median level of experience is 10 years. Okay. Okay, so is that... Th- th- that says a lot, okay? Mm-hmm. But here's what I'm going to tell you. That tells me that the industry is, by and large, made up of two segments, Okay. It's made up of the older segment, we'll call it. Okay. With substantially more experience than 10 years. Okay. 20, 25, 30, sure. 35, 40, People 40 that have made their the career business. out of real estate. That are, that, that are, you know, median age of 54. But most of those are actually, the older group is actually far older than 54. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if okay. 54 is the median. We're talking about median, not median's not average. Now, yeah. understand me, folks. We median line up all mean, yeah. median versus mean, average mean. We line them, line everybody up, and we take the, the person that's in the middle. If you've got 100, you're looking at number 50 in the line. Number 50 in the line. Okay. So you have an older segment, has substantially more experience than 10, um, and is substantially older than 54 even. Okay. And then you have this very large younger segment that has substantially less experience than 10 and is substantially younger Mm -hmm. than 54. Right. Okay. Um, Leaving the median at 10 and 54. 
what I believe is that there is a huge part of that younger segment that has never seen a bad market. They got in post-2011. Sure. They're less than seven years in the business. They've never seen a bad market. They've built bad habits. They've not been mentored, pro- mentored properly. Mm-hmm. They didn't prepare. They, they, they're not prepared for a shift because they don't even know what a shift looks like. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, so I have two concerns for our industry. Okay. What do you think is going to happen to the older segment when we do have the next the next substantial shift that we can't control? Yeah. What do you think is going to happen? They're going to start to phase out. They're going to phase out, right? Yep. They're retiring. Because they've made their bones. Yeah. Right? I mean, they've been they've, in real estate for 25 years. Why why grovel through a bad market again they, when they're just ready to hang it up? They, they Yeah, exactly. Especially if they're substantially older than 54, mm-hmm. which is what I'm positing here, right? You know, if you're, you're the 62-year-old, 30-year veteran who's made a good life and a good living, you're, you're a consummate professional and a... Probably pro- have an investing portfolio that you can pro- lean back on. They probably have a lot. That, I mean, they've, they've done well. Yeah. Okay? It's time to hang with grandkids. Sure. Okay? They're going to ride off into the sunset, leaving a, a pretty substantial hole in the market, right? Mm-hmm. Which we do have a probably an oversized agent population in general. Okay. But a big substantial portion of the production is going to be left to the younger segment that I discussed a minute ago of which they're still trying to figure out what all's going on around them. They're still trying to figure it out. And how are they going to weather the storm? They haven't made their bones yet. Like they've just, because of overcrowding and competition and, shifts and disruptors and all these things in the marketplace in a good market, they haven't even figured out how to excel yet. Right. Okay. So yeah, there's going to be some business available left by the, by the exiting older generation, Mm -hmm. but the younger generation doesn't know how to, how to go find it in a tough market. Sure. So their income drops. Yeah. Okay. So now think about this. What's that? I mean, who does that leave? Well, number one, it leaves me. Okay. <laughs> okay. And the, I, the small percentage of people that are kind of in the middle of these two worlds. You know, and there's a ton of, look, there, there, there are lifers that will never hang it up, and there are young ones that are wildly accomplished beyond their years. Or okay. they have just so, enough hustle to make so it. So I'm no not, what. if you're listening to this and you're becoming offended, don't, don't be. Right. Okay. I'm not talking to you. Okay. I'm, I am acknowledging some things that I have noticed, some things that I have observed in our marketplace. And I'm scared a little bit, okay, for the disruptors that we've talked about in past episodes because this huge void creates tons of opportunity for disruptors. Now, in a bad economy, it hurts the disruptor, the startup, the whatever. It hurts them too. And if you are someone that feels stung by some of this, I mean, it's not meant to be an indictment. It's it's a warning. Right? No, it's I a mean, warning. Get ready. Yeah. Step your game up. You know, you know, you know what uh you know what I always say, Gabe? Pressure makes pearls. Mm. Okay. Pressure makes pearls. So and what I mean by that is is when this happens, when the when when the old guard starts to ride off into the sunset and the new emerging crowd of real estate professionals that are not prepared for this tough market starts to waffle and look for second jobs and you know, those those board dues start looking pretty expensive. If you are someone that is in the middle, okay, if you are one of those credible professionals that's that's wise beyond your years, that is credible and capable, 
you need to seize that opportunity. And this is where it gets a little bit challenging for people to stick with me. You're going to make more money in a bad market than you did in a good market. I want to talk about why that is, because this is something we talk about a lot, and it's definitely true. But when we go back to, I mean, the stats that you were talking about, 97 versus three, that's incredibly disparate, right? What Incredible. What is the disconnect? Like, why... Why is it not like 60-40? Why is it 97-3? What is is it that is it because the 3% is so elite and so hard to get into or is it because just an epidemic within the industry everyone's apathetic to what actually has to be done to be successful? Okay. So let, let, let's let's talk about some um some bias in those numbers. Okay. Real quick. Okay. This is realtors only, not necessarily this, licensees either, right? No, this is realtors only. So cuz it's an NAR stat. Okay. So the reason why there's some bias to that is that it does not take in some markets over the last several years at the existing price points, it does not take more than $25,000 a year to make a solid living. Okay. Okay. So if you're selling million dollar homes and you sell 25, say you sell 24, so you're outside the 90, you're outside the 3%. Yeah, all right. Buy one. You did $24 million worth of real estate sales. Yeah. If you're a single practitioner, again, 24 transactions is all. It's just two a month. Okay. 24 million. Okay, times three is seven hundred and fifty thousand in gross commissions at a three percent commission. Okay, so you 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 carve off a piece for your broker, you pay your admin, you pay your marketing. You're you're walking home. You're you're going home with five hundred k. Yeah, minimum. you did okay. You did okay. Most cities in the United States of America, you take home five hundred thousand before taxes. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna be just fine. You don't have much to complain about. You don't yeah. have much to complain about. Okay, so. It's a li- there's a little bias in those statistics. 25 transactions in Louisville, Kentucky does not make you wealthy. No. It, I mean, it, it, it probably makes you a living. Yeah, it's making it. It's making it. You yes. know, that's $5 million. Yeah. Right? In volume. In volume, which nets you maybe a hundred grand. Okay. And if you're the if you've got two kids, student loans, couple of car payments, and a mortgage, and you're you're this and you're the breadwinner. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot left at the end of that. Now, no. 100, 100 grand is 100 grand. Don't get but yeah, me wrong. But you got to cut that in half, and then you got to pay your taxes. And, and you got to pay taxes, too. And yeah. pay your expenses. I mean, well, even before expenses, what? You've carved about like at least a third. You're yeah, down to no, a third of what ab- you had. Absolutely. So there's a little bias in the statistic. But here's, here's, my, here's my standpoint. I'm, I'm going to invest my time in something that is worth my time. Okay? Why would I? Why would I do something? Knowing how long it takes, how many hours invested at a certain level of success and credibility, how long it takes to do 25 transactions a year, why would I ever do less? Like, I don't care if I'm in, in you know, South Beach, Miami, Manhattan, or Southern California, or Silicon Valley. How like, could you ever be content? How could with you less? ever be content with less than 25 transactions a year? Like, I just don't get it. If you're the primary earner. You'd be better off working almost anywhere else, doing almost anything else. In certain places, yes. I mean, yeah. there's the Depending argument. on the market, right. There's the argument that 20 transactions in Southern California at a million apiece does you really well. And you you have more sanity than I have. And God bless you. Sure. But, but my point is that I, I don't think this industry draws in individuals that are complacent with. I mean, dude, Gabe, if you know me. You watch me every day. If I did 24 transactions a year and that is all, I could literally do that in 20 hours a week. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So 
You know me. I'm never going to be. I'm never going to be satisfied with that. And if you plan to make it through the next shift, you shouldn't either. Okay. Now, again, we can ex- we we can accept all the independently wealthy crowd. Yeah. We're not talking to them. This show is for top producers. Yeah. Or well, aspiring top producers. Well, that's. I'm so glad you mentioned that because let's talk about where what we're talking about really here. We're talking to two different groups of people with the same message. To the aspiring top producers hearing this, maybe they're having some doubts and some fears right now. Like, man, what did I get myself into? I didn't realize it was going to be so difficult to even make it worthwhile to do this business. And I think the answer is actually simpler than it sounds right now. It sounds pretty daunting, but doing the right things and doing them consistently, what we talk about always on this show, is how you get into the 3% and stay. And I want us to talk about that in a minute. But like you said, we're talking to the top producer too, right? This is something, and the, typically the top producer is going to be a leader, whether it's a leader of a team or a leader of a small company or an office of five agents, office of 10 agents, whatever it is. Earlier you talked about mentorship, right? And, you know, we're worried about the younger generation of agents not having adequate mentorship to know what to do, especially when these older agents leave the industry. So in a minute, I want to talk about how do you get in the 3% if you're not there already? And if you're someone that's leading the 3%, maybe you're in the one, you're in the 1%, this message, you're not scared by what you're hearing right now. This is old news. But how do you prepare your team? How do you lead your team and mentor these agents who might be concerned by the downturn that's coming? I want to talk about both of those things. Okay, so I'll take I'll take the the top producer, fully entrenched leader. They're not like, worried about dropping out of the three, just like you. Let, let's take the vision. Okay, where, where do you go? Number one, cut the fat. Okay, what's cut, that mean? Cut the fat. You know what it means. It means anything that doesn't produce needs to go. Out of your marketing, out of... It's it's easy in a good market, to Gabe, to say, oh, what's another grand a month if we get one deal out of it? We'll see if it works. H- here's the thing. Yeah, yeah, we'll see if it works. That, that shit's got to go. Okay. Okay. We'll see if it works is out the window. Okay. Um, you know, if... If you say, if you utter this phrase with respect to marketing at any point in time, it's got, it's got to go. If we get one deal from it, <laughs> it pays for itself. It's not got to go. It's not a vote of confidence. It's got to go. Okay. We're talking about, we're talking about you find your core, your core business, where it comes from. Okay. What is your most efficient, you know, source of generating transactions. Your fail-proof marketing your, vehicles. Your, your foolproof, fail-proof, foolproof. You, this is what I crush it at. Yeah. Okay? And you cut the fat back to there. Okay? You you don't explore new initiatives. You test at a measured pace. And if it doesn't perform, you cut. Yeah. Less R&D and more A and B, right? Exactly. Exactly. Definite, definite must. Here's the hard part. If you're a leader, you've got expense tied up in people. Sure. And if the people don't produce, they got to go. Okay. So it may require you to let go of some people that you don't want to let go of. Um, you have to really, really look hard at the value that every single person brings your organization. And trust me, and this, this is, this is going to be a hard part for some people to swallow. You're not hurting them. You're doing them a favor. Hmm. Okay. You, you're, you know, what do they call it? 
when you fire a seller, you reintroduce them to the market, <laughs> right? That's I don't know who says that. That's nice. But I like you that. reintroduce them. You don't fire a seller. You reintroduce them to the marketplace. Yeah. No, I mean th- there are going to be there are going to be roles um, that are not necessary. You know, for most people, you know. Now, I'm not saying you don't need a marketing person and a transaction person and a video person and this and that and the other. Our team, like. We need those things. Yeah, it's part of our. It's, it's part, part of, our of vision. it's part of who we are. Yeah. Okay, but let me tell you something: the agent that's struggling to do twelve deals a year that just hasn't been able to get it together yet, that they might need to find another team, or at least be warned so they understand why they need to find another. Team. Oh, they'll or be find warned. Another career. Oh, they'll <laughs> be warned. They'll be warned. Well, They're, yeah. So you've got that person, and that's what we're talking about with trim the fat, for lack of a better term. I mean, yeah. it seems kind of severe, but it does. What about your person that's almost there they're like they're they've got it they've got what it takes but they're just not over that edge yet this is where the mentorship comes in not necessarily making the hard decision to say sorry you're not gonna you're not gonna survive this winter but going to this person say i see the potential in you here's what you need to do what is what's the thing that you give that agent and this is also for our listeners that want to know this too no no okay so you you asked this a slightly different way earlier, but I think it's it's kind of we're kind of driving at the same thing, right? Um, the person who hasn't quite made it yet, the one that has some doubt, mm-hmm. um, that is worried or has achieved a small level of success, and they're trying to continue to kind of climb that hockey stick, right? That we talk about of growth. Yeah, maybe they did like fifteen, sixteen in their first year, and they're looking to double it this year. So he, here's the the very quick and dirty answer, right? Do the things that you know you should. Okay. Tom said it best in his video. The market doesn't care if you don't prospect. The market doesn't care if you don't follow your schedule. The market doesn't care about your excuses. It's not going to stand around and wait for you to find motivation. The one thing, the single thing that has no place in in a downturn market is a lack of drive. Hmm. Okay, a lack of discipline. It exposes you. You understand? Yeah. There are people out there that have never seen it bad before, that have never put a sign in a yard, okay, and not gotten showings the first day. Yeah, that's all they know. That is all they know. Trust me, folks, this is not how it is. Yeah. Okay, now, there are some new normals. There are some things that have, I believe, shifted for good. Okay. There's some consumer sentiment and some things in our marketplace with the way that we do business now that, you know, it, it, it usually, usually the things you can, you can, you can tell if they're here to stay, um, because it's the thing that the old dogs are all complaining about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or at least a good chance, you know, Zillow is not going away. I'm sorry to tell you. You know, Zillow is not going away. Discount brokerage is not going away. Yeah. These things might go through different iterations over time, they but they're will, not going they, anywhere. They will go through different iterations. You know, when when the market requires value, the people that don't provide it tend to hide. Hmm. But the, but as soon as the market recovers, they're back again really quickly. Okay. Um, you know, Gabe. I don't know what to tell you, man. Like you just gotta, you gotta have the drive. Do make the calls, show up. Yeah. Follow a schedule. Be disciplined. I've told you. I've I've told everyone who will listen to me, and and trust me, I I've I've done a few things in this business. I've witnessed a lot. Everything 
every every opportunity I have to level up in my career, it's all about discipline. And I'm a pretty disciplined person, and I'm solidly entrenched in the top 3%. Sure. Okay? But I still need to level up when it comes to discipline. You know? I mean, we all do. Well, everybody's human, and no one is perfect. Right. So, I, I mean, the thing to to understand is just that there's no place for a lack of drive or discipline. Yeah. Do and the I, things you already know. And I think especially talking about doing the things you already know, one of the things that's great, especially in this office, when you have a team that maybe varies between like extreme top producers, heavy hitters versus the person that's working their way up that direction, we have a lot of communal time in the office where agents who are right on the precipice of getting into the three get to watch agents in the one prospect. And they're yeah. like, if they're prospecting, I should probably prospect. If the person that's doing making twice what I make a year is in here making phone calls, maybe I should do that too. And that's one of the best things if, you, if you're a leader of a team. I'm sure one of the best things you can do is expose your agents who aren't quite there yet to your agents who are crushing it and let them learn from their habits. No, absolutely. And, you know, you got you – got, uh, th- this is where the culture has changed in our industry, Gabe. You know, people don't understand how – if if you're if you're in an office of of you know the the older generation that has been in it three years, like there's a good chance that you know collaboration and you know time sharing and you know group meetings and roundtable discussions and stuff. There's a good chance that that's just not the way things are done. Sure, and um, you know it's really hard to kind of explain, and it's and it's very elusive even to a younger office, right? To people that on the go. That on they're on the go, but they need they need you know the the mentorship that they get here and not just from the the number one leader. I exactly. mean, that's why we have pods within our team. Maybe they need the mentorship but not from you all the time. Well, they need there's only one of me. Peer mentors. There's only one of me and and you know any one person, there's only enough to go around, right? Sure. So it takes for what we do here in this brokerage and on our team, it takes 100% buy-in from every individual. There's not a single person and you could you could attest to this. I mean, so it's not just me professing it. There's not a single person in this entire brokerage that does not buy in to those ideas. Sure. So, yeah, if you're if you're the if you're the the B player looking to be an A player, yeah. and you're staring down the barrel of a shift, you know, a bad market and all you've ever known is a good market, whether it be 2 years or 7 years in a business, you need to be talking to some people that have seen a bad market. You need to be prepared. You know, you're already listening to this podcast, so maybe you're going to get something from it. And and let me tell you, all of your weaknesses will be on display. Your sellers will see it. Okay. The buyers will be scarce. The cost of getting a sale is going to be higher while your help will be less. So tighten your ship mm-hmm. because pressure makes pearls. Yeah, it does. So I, I, I just, it's a very timely moment to be having this discussion because I, for the first time in a long time, I don't know what next spring is going to look like. Mm. You know, for forget forget December. Okay, I don't know what next spring is going to look like. Okay, I don't think we're looking at anything catastrophic. You know, it doesn't look like we're going to war with North North Korea. So, right. you know, but we might. 
You never, okay. We might go to happened. war with China. I don't know. The thing, the thing that keeps jumping out at me, whether this is incredibly related or not, the imagery that I keep seeing is like, you look at the news right now, we have, what, three different hurricanes or tropical storms that are floating all around the world. And it's like, they're talking about evacuations a week in advance. And people, people in South Carolina, North Carolina, wherever they are, are having to reckon with the fact of whether they've prepared for something like this or not. And people, people are scared because they don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. And of course, you can't foresee something like that that far out in the future, but it's about being prepared. That's what this is about. There's a storm coming, a proverbial storm in real estate coming. We don't know when it's going to hit, don't know how severe it's going to be, but you'd be much better off to know what you need to be doing every day to be prepared, to be able to weather something like that. Otherwise, if you learn about it the week of, you're going to be swept away. No, absolutely. And unfortunately, Gabe, the reality is, is that, you know, we're not the only place you can hear people talking about this, but... People won't pay attention to this. Agents won't pay attention to this show. They won't pay attention to the other sources. Tom's video. They they, they won't they 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 won't hear it. They won't they don't want to hear it. You know these are the same people that are completely completely okay with you know. I'm trying to look for a good analogy. Eating the fruit from the tree that is this good market, but not caring for the soil that the roots are buried. Yeah, not in. planting any of the seeds. You follow what I'm yeah. saying there? I mean, I'm sorry if that was a bit like kind of airy kind of no. out, out out in, in, uh, it's, in the it ether. makes, it makes perfect sense, but, but that's, but that's just it. You know, um, you know what I view our task when it comes to this podcast is to care for the soil, right? I mean, I'm trying to educate not only our agents here, which all follow the podcast, not just agents in our market here in Louisville, Kentucky, but agents regionally and nationally that pay attention to this podcast to tell you, implore you, prepare yourself, okay? And and dare I say that those that don't will clear a way for those that do to make more money in a bad market than they do in a good one. We've seen it before, and we'll see it 10 times over. I mean, if, you, if you're lucky enough to be in this business long enough through up and down cycles, you'll see. You know, great, great saying, um, I think this was, was this Shakespeare? That said, when there's blood on the streets by land, maybe is that what know. he said? I think I think Shakespeare. We're gonna have to fact check me there, but I yeah. think Shakespeare had a quote of saying, "When there's blood on the streets by land," and and all that really means is that there's market share to be gained mm-hmm. when there's panic, when there's you know struggle, when there's you know recessions and you know dips and valleys and shifts, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. All these fissures in the market, they create opportunities. They create opportunities. Gabe, do you know, literally, do you know that I would probably not be sitting here if I had had the foresight and vision to buy all the homes that I thought about buying when, <laughs> we, when, we, went, when we went through the REO and Great Recession? Oh, yeah. You'd be set. I mean, literally, Gabe, hundreds of them slipped through my fingers and I thought, uh, you know, an extra 5000 I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, like that extra five thousand that I passed on that property has cost me fifty thousand. You talk about the house you sold seven times. Sold it seven times. Imagine I bought it for twenty nine. Yeah. What if I had rented it out for seven years? Okay, and then sold it for one eighty nine myself. Okay. Now, I mean, that's a hundred and thirty thousand dollar profit. Probably, I probably had fifty in it when I was done. Yeah. It's a hundred and thirty thousand dollar profit in eight years. Not even probably because that was twenty seventeen that I sold that house. So, yeah, when there's blood on the streets, buy land, and pressure makes pearls. Mm-hmm.
There you go. Well, that's about all the time we've got for today's episode. But if you have any questions, of course, always feel free to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Uh, but maybe share this episode with somebody that you know in your office that is not a listener or somebody that somebody on your team that you want to make sure that they get this warning. This is like the first blast of your warning before this kind of thing comes. So make sure you share this episode with somebody. Maybe put it on your Facebook feed. Uh, but again, this is Gabe Pruitt and Jay Pitts from Resource Real Talk About Real Estate. We'll see you next time. Thanks, folks.